Hi there. Hope you guys are staying healthy and safe. Welcome to a brand new season of my interview series. This time we're going to touch upon mergers and acquisitions and especially focusing on integration. Mergers and acquisition as a strategy can be very attractive for companies to gain access to new markets, portfolio of new products, gain new capabilities or just conquer over a new competition. However, mergers and acquisitions can be really stubborn. In fact, four out of five implementations fail, while many of them can be linked back to the actual value the company paid for the acquisition. However, a large number of them can be attributed to the way integration was conducted and the reason why integration is so tough because it's fraught with uncertainties today we are going to talk with Karunesh Prasad who is the CEO and founder of Change et al and he has years of experience dealing with mergers and acquisitions in different companies so welcome Karunesh how are you and how is it in Singapore today hey, thank you Anirvan good to see you it's fantastic and uh, Singapore is opening right now and uh, you know we are able to step out we are able to go out for uh, you know a meal outside in a restaurant meet some friends some restrictions but much better yeah absolutely even here in europe we are seeing that change as well uh, schools have opened up uh, restaurants have opened up uh, people have started interacting and things are getting back to normal although people are um, uh, still working from home most of the times um so welcome to our show yeah we're really excited to have you on our show and uh, our topic today is mna with specific focus on integration and uh, let's start with a brief introduction so thank you everyone thanks for uh, asking me to join for this conversation and uh, this is a great topic also so i, I would love to talk about this uh, topic along with you that too uh, for me uh, my background has been uh, you know most of the time i spent in corporate life uh, worked for only two companies one is a company called rpg enterprises in india so that was fat business house i joined them as a management trainee uh, when i finished with them i was head of hr for one of their uh, business units and then i joined ge in the healthcare business and uh, ge uh, took me to different geographies different uh, roles so being a hr person i got to work in quality and lean six sigma i also worked in different geographies including europe and us and singapore and then around six and a half years back i moved back to singapore and set up a company called change it all change it all is a change management boutique consulting company and we work on change management of all kind but as you are aware i spent almost 3 years focus only on mna post merger integration work and that too i was the first one to actually create a function called culture integration in ge so uh, i'm uh, very proud of that and also i think that was a great opportunity that i got where i had the opportunity to create a model on uh, culture integration and also work on that uh, by setting up a department or a function which worked with all different organizations within ge to help them on culture integration and that was a time when uh, we used to call ourselves as the serial uh, acquirers so we were doing like in those four years we did almost 14 acquisitions right from 100 million to 6 billion size and to be able to work on those and apply those uh, you know models and framework i think was a great experience so happy to be here with you today and uh, and uh, looking forward to the conversation absolutely in fact uh, i would definitely talk about um the time when you had set up the culture function um uh, during the acquisition periods right so 
uh, back in GE, but you also kind of continued uh, with that in your consulting gig. So, so we'll come to that. My next question is, why are there so many uncertainties when companies embark on an integration? Many of the integration that we see or we, we look at uh, across all geographies, all industries, there's no set formula for that because all integrations are very unique in nature. And if you think about it, everyone, uh, you know, it's like the variables within any integration can be right from the type of industry we come from geographies that we are in, the kind of organization setup we have, and also the cultures and the spread and the footprint of the organization, right? So each organization is different, each industry is different, each geography is different. And in any integration that we look at, all these variables are at play. And therefore, the uncertainties also become very high. So it's not like a very fixed path. So for example, if we are doing any other change intervention, Normally, we have a very set path and variables are also very similar to each other. In this case, the variables are just too many. And uh, that combination that comes out in the integration phase, it all comes together. And that's where, that's where the entire thing becomes very different. So if you talk about uncertainties, I think the uncertainty comes from the fact that there are multiple variables right from due diligence stage, the deal stage. If you think about it, multiple types of different deals that... Uh, happen you know so whether it's a big kind of a deal whether it's a, a merger of two similar uh, organizations it could also be a jv where the stake is being increased so there are variables starting from that stage itself combined by many other things i think it becomes uh, much higher and then comes the topic of uh, my favorite topic uh, is people process and culture all the three things are always very different in any of these integrations in the organization and within those different PLs within a particular organization itself. Now think about bringing it all together. There have to be a lot of uncertainties and uh, each one has uh, its own, uh, own uniqueness and complexity both. So that's what I would say is the biggest factor at play to start. Yeah, I think what you just articulated, you know, uncertainties is kind of the backbone of any integration. You know, as I say, in during due diligence, you only have a very limited window to ask very limited number of questions. And you make so many assumptions on the basis of which you actually create uh, the thesis of why a certain company needs to be bought. What, what I see a lot of companies actually fail to do is once the actual process of integration starts, you get access to a lot of information, but then people don't necessarily go back and validate all their findings, validate their assumptions. And that's, I, I see one of the reasons uncertainties exist, but you pointed out very, very important parts of an integration, people, process, and culture. Let's talk about uh, that piece that I just had alluded right in the beginning about culture. You know, why is culture such an important part? Very obviously, culture is what makes an organization different from each other. You may have the same product, you may be operating in the same city, forget the same geography, same city, and still may have a very different culture. And that's what is the unique thing about every organization. That's what also makes organizations either a failure or a successful organization. Now, when it comes to MA, when it comes to post-merger integration, going two, three, four steps back, our deal rationale may say something entirely different. You may be acquiring a company for market expansion product expansion, geographical footprint, or any of those 
But when it comes to really working on integration, if the cultures are not aligned, none of those things work. Now, it's, it's a double-edged sword. A lot of people say that the reason why the other organization was probably successful is because of the culture. And now, if you try to merge the two, are you actually taking away the edge that this organization had before being acquired, right? And you're acquiring the organization because of certain reasons. So it's, it's a very uh, you know, unique, uh, unique kind of a situation. But at the same time, this is the most difficult part also. Almost in 70%, 80% cases, people say that the main cause for mergers or uh, acquisitions not to be successful or reach the intended goal is because of culture. And of course, when people are at play, human being is at play, these things are bound to happen. And there are multiple, we'll talk about that in more detail, but there are multiple uh, factors which come into play when it comes to culture. And, uh, and the deal rationale, and that is only the starting point because sometime you and I have seen that you start with a very different logic of why you want to acquire. By the time you sign on dotted lines, the whole scenario has completely changed because you made so many compromises or negotiate, did so many you know, components of the deal that the whole thing has gone in a different direction altogether. And culture, of course, comes into play because people are involved. So it certainly is a big factor. One of the questions I got asked um, on several occasions was uh, the comparison of transformation projects like ERP implementation, expansion into new markets versus an M&A integration. And the reason why I'm asking is there is certain element that culture definitely plays a part. And we're going to continue our conversation on culture. But I'm trying to set the stage for our uh, viewers and listeners regarding how is M&A integration more tough or more complex compared to other kind of transformations that we see in the corporate world and why the number of uncertainties that exist in an M&A integration are much bigger compared to the ones that we may see in ERP or new market expansion. That's a great example and question also, Nirvan. I think biggest difference here is that of the goal and that of the accountability. So let us take an example of creation of uh, a shared service or ERP implementation. What happens? Normally, you will have one organization or multiple PLs within that where you are creating a shared service. You have one boss who or CFO who is the sponsor of that entire initiative. And they decided to do this because of either the cost angle or few more things thrown into that. Perfectly all. There's a complete accountability and the path is normally very clear that you will go one step, second step and third step. First step being consolidation, then you start to simplify, then you will you know, send it to a remote location and start to work from there. There's a level A, B and C. And that's why, that's why you, uh, you know, work on a shared services creation in a certain pattern. Within that, you still have cultural challenges, of course, because the way decisions are made, the way uh, you know, people are uncomfortable or comfortable with working with the technology, remote working and so on. So all those factors do come into play. But I think the magnitude of that is much smaller compared to a, you know, acquisition integration or post-merger integration situation. Same thing I would say for ERP implementation. It's challenging, no doubt about it. It's very challenging because, again, multiple stakeholders, multiple people having different agencies agenda, human being is involved, they will all want to make sure that their agenda is 
served, all those things are certainly there. Uh, but normally the accountability lies with two or three people who really want to make it work because there's a goal attached to that. Now, if I take a step back and say, then why why it is different for post-merger integration? I, I'll, I'll give you a simple journey of a typical integration. Think about it, that we start with uh, due diligence and say, okay, this is our organization that we want to acquire. You create your deal rationale. And you say that this is what we are going to get out of this. What all you're getting, you're getting the, let us say that the biggest thing you're getting is the market share and geographical expansion. Let us say these are the two only just to keep it simple. Now, when you actually start working on that, the uncertainties that you're talking about and everyone starts to come into play. The first uncertainty is that after acquisition is over, what is going to happen to the leaders of the acquired company, right? You start from there. Now, they are probably as good or as uh, you know competent as the acquirers team members so they also have a role to play they also have an opinion you need to take that into account and there's some kind of a you know role and goal alignment that comes into play people are worried about their future so they also want to protect their turf on top of that comes that, okay, imagine that there are two competitors who have been fighting the battle in the marketplace for years and suddenly you acquire that company and the two regional leaders are now supposed to be working together and maybe one of them will become the leader and one of them will have to either move on to a different role or move on completely, right? All those power struggles also start to come into play. Then comes the actual deal-related activities. So for example, you said that market expansion or footprint uh, increase, we are able to get more market share. Perfectly all right. Now you have a leader sitting in the acquired organization and his team who created that. They have their incentives tied to that. They have the performer to deliver on. And then you have also the acquired organization who is like, you know, working on how do we make sure that we are able to we spent the money, we got them. Now they need to give us more market share. They need to, so somebody's talking about, oh, this product was created by me or this whole uh, market or the customer was my customer. Now I need to continue to be the lead. So at every level, right from CEO to the field level guys, including service engineers and sales engineers, you may be having a power tussle happening somewhere. Along with that comes the cultural issues of how the decisions are being made or was made in the past and how it is made in the new organization, how the budgets, approvals, and all those processes take place, how the customer is being served by different organizations, all those factors also come into play. Now, if we think about these factors and say that is it working? Is it not working? Is it, uh, yeah, it's challenging. It's challenging because culture is not a fuzzy, fuzzy topic of what happens like team building or how, how people interact with these. These are real issues. The issues are about how do you communicate? How do you make decisions? What's the kind of organization design you have? Are you hierarchical in nature or not? Is it okay for me to reach out to my boss's boss for a quick approval or talk to him or the other way around? You know, all those factors are part of the culture. And when the two things are coming together, 
all these are at place simultaneously. On one hand, you're trying to integrate and keep the market going, keep the customer being served. On the other hand, you are trying to deal with so many softer, small issues, which can become a very challenging situation in the long run. Yeah, I think you've, you've shared a couple of great examples. Um, for, for example, let me kind of uh, talk about the team building exercises, you know. Um, and uh, the way I look at culture is, uh, or rather the way I see culture being used uh, or abused in organization m and integration is they talk about culture as a good feel. Let's try and motivate employees by doing certain things, right? Whereas most often, the reason, the underlying reasons why certain things are not working are down to the operational practices, you know, decision making. Am I allowed to uh, have uh, flexible working hours? Can I work from home? Is, does my manager encourage uh, discussions, etc.? So all of those what I call operational practices are confused with the elements of motivation and therefore most often or rather the most practiced a post-merger integration cultural event is the team building exercise. And while it's good for that evening, but it does not address any of the underlying issues. And that's why I find culture as a fascinating aspect. Now, leaning on that, let's talk about, when we talk about culture, let's talk about what do we mean by culture? Is it organizational practices? Is it geographical practices? Is it leadership? Is it a combination? Uh, what's culture? So, of course, I mean, the, the definition of culture, like anybody else, would be the way things are done out here, right? That's a very simple layman's definition. But let us translate that into real practice, that what actually happens on the floor. What happens is that you start to look at if you take a walk. So in due diligence phase, we, our typical thing was, let us take a walk, Okay. So we take a walk around and look at the way the desks are, the way notice board. My favorite place is a notice board if there's one. Or if not, then the intranet or uh, you know, in, in, uh, within the organization, if they have some social uh, media kind of uh, you know, portal where they exchange, if I can have a glance at that. Where you get to see that how people interact with each other, what actually happens. If you are able to attend a couple of meetings, nothing like that, because that gives you a great flavor. In essence, what I'm saying is that when we talk about culture in real terms, it translates to different aspects of how decisions are made, how communication happens. When it comes to the, so for example, when I talk about some of the organizations who are known for technology, so take the example of Philips, Siemens, G, they are known for technology, industrial products technology. Take the California-based IT companies, they are known for the digital savviness, right? It comes, so they're known for that, that's their culture, right? Uh, but along with that also comes other components of the culture, which includes entrepreneurship, which includes the way you work, your work pattern. It doesn't have to be nine to five. It doesn't have to be tie-wearing, suited-booted people. It, it can be very informal because they are working on a, so those are all components of culture. When I was looking at articulating culture for one of my assignment, I asked the people and I said, what are you known for? So the response came from different people in different ways and listen to the response. So somebody said that we have a culture of meritocracy. 
because we only promote people who are really good and we are absolutely brutal about that. And I'm sure you can relate to the organization that we are talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Similarly, if you think about engineering people, they're saying that we have a technology culture. We want to be absolutely you know, cutting edge, best technology. That's our culture. There are people who are talking about our culture is we believe in diversity and inclusion. There's another person who talked about their culture being absolutely being on time all the time. So think about it. Everybody has their own lens of culture, which comes from their own workplace and the practices that they follow. The dominating effect of that culture is what they are practicing, what function they are in, but that's part of their culture. What is it that they take pride in? In the same organization, if you go to a different geography altogether, now let us take an example of an American company in Japan, right? In Japan, they would like to, let us say, make sure that they are, their decision-making is with, with consensus, making sure that they are respecting the hierarchy, but still they want to follow consensus. They are very, very respectful at the same time, very clear about long-term planning. Now, that culture in a very American company, there is bound to be a little bit of difference. And any merger and integration kind of situation, articulating some of those differences and making sure that we are able to bring it together becomes very critical. And that's where, when we talk about culture, it is not one definition that the way things are done out here. For every integration that I've worked on, I have actually worked on defining culture for them separately because both the companies may have different definition as well as interpretation of the same word. So somebody saying that we communicate a lot may mean very different things to two different organizations. And we just need to align that first before we go on to the uh, rationalization of that. Yeah, I absolutely agree with what you just said. Um, in fact, um, uh, when you're talking about the notice board, I recollected uh, uh, some of the things that I would do. Uh, so that included essentially going to the, you know, the coffee machine or the cafeteria. Um, but, you know, I guess you also know one of the best places was uh, the smoking area outside the building where people would stand. Um, that used to give us a lot of um, uh, true insights and, and in fact, uh, you know, I re recall um, one of the integrations I was involved in, uh, in Budapest, I got to know how internally after the news was released about a certain acquisition, how the company, how the people, um, the, the shop floor people or the people, uh, the frontline workers, they were reacting to the news and, and that smoking area was a great uh, inside on what people were thinking. So thanks for sharing that. Um, with respect to culture, you know, um, as you said, there are lots of definitions that exist. For consistency purposes, you know, um, and you have, you were involved in developing this function um, back in the GE days. What's usually a starting point and how would you define what should people be looking for when they talk about culture? So first of all, my, my tagline will be, no one size fits all. Absolutely. So, assuming that culture integration, if you have done it in one company or one integration, you can apply the same formula. No, it doesn't work. But what works is a framework. Framework meaning, again, I'm going back to my people, process, and culture, where you have components within that that you are able to identify, articulate, and emphasize during the work stream creation for the integration. So for example, uh, 
if you talk about a starting point, my starting point will be bringing the two teams together and creating a joint approach to integration itself. And I think that's the most important part of any integration. If that one is done well, you have set the stage for a very successful integration. And normally, to me, if you are able to set that agenda vision very well, you will speak the same language as leadership team. Where we go wrong normally, everyone, is that leaders talk very differently when we, they are outside the room. My ideal scenario will be that these leaders, whether they are inside a closed door room or outside, speak the same language. And to be able to get them to do that requires a lot of work. And uh, that's where I put my entire focus in the, in the beginning of the, the integration phase. To give you an example, we, we agreed that you know this is a very sensitive, we don't want to lose people, we want to make sure that we are able to retain everybody. But between short term and long term, people are able to make out, they are able to see that if there are two giants coming together, there is bound to be some redundancy, right? Now, I, I remember one of the town hall where we prepared you know, all the leaders that, okay, who is going to say what, how are they going to answer, what are they going to answer? Very well staged, everything went very well. And then one of the leaders who traveled to a remote location on work, he was asked to address the employees. And uh, he was asked a very direct question that, okay, where do you see this organization after three years from now? And uh, he started saying things that he shouldn't have said. Most of them were directed towards how we are going to increase the profitability by using the synergy advantage of the two infrastructure. Now, infrastructure was not his portfolio. He should have spoken about uh, you know everything else but, but that topic. But he spoke on people, he spoke on infrastructure, rooftop consolidation, and therefore cost reduction. Now, he may be right. He may be right in saying so. Uh, he may be right in terms of the way is looking at things, but sometimes people make those kind of mistakes. So the, the bottom line is everyone that when we are starting off, leadership teams speaking the same language and having a vision of what we are doing and why we are doing that becomes very important. So even if there are changes from the deal creation stage to the, the you know, signing date, there might be many changes. And the deal rationale may also change a little bit as a result of that, which is also absolutely understandable. That's the point when the leadership team needs to come together and agree on their vision, the target vision. So three years, five years plan saying that this is what we are working towards and this is what we are going to say together and we'll stick to that. In that case, what happens is every time things go wrong somewhere, you come back to that document and say, let us look back and look at what have we agreed upon. So to me, that's the starting point. The starting point is agreeing with the leaders on the approach and the short-term and long-term milestones that we are working towards. And then you, of course, start to work on the second-tier task-level details of each work stream. And you create work streams accordingly, in, including on the cultural components to make sure that you are able to achieve that. Yeah, I think... Um... The uh, example that you took, uh, let me kind of extend um, uh, upon that with uh, some of my experiences. You know, your uh, thing about alignment is spot on. And in fact, um, 
this is one of the things that so whenever um, I would go and advise, I would say, here's a script, you know, the document that you mentioned, here's a script, you can never, never go outside the script. If you need to go outside the script, always include us because from the experience, uh, we would know how to uh, navigate. The second thing uh, is getting everybody to say uh, or agree upon who's going to say what and not say. So it, it's not everybody and anybody uh, is able to say things about about the integration. I mean, say for example, if we say the CFO is allowed to say, but the CIO is not allowed to say, then what we would tell the CIO is um, you can share the generic details, but whenever you get a specific question, you refer it to the CFO, you know, as simple as that. And, and then the third thing, uh, which I would say um, about the, um, about the uh, thing that you mentioned about attrition, about the redundancies, Unless it's a tuck-in or an acquihire, even in acquihires, we see uh, redundancies. Majority of the integrations will always have redundancies, right? Uh, and that's a, that's a matter of fact, okay? And yet, uh, leaders have a tendency of saying two things. It's going to be business as usual. It's not going to be business as usual. There is going to be disruption, right? So do not say it's going to be business as usual. And secondly, we are not going to fire anybody. You know, by doing, by saying that we're not going to fire anybody, you're also tying your hands and not even being able to fire the underperforming people as well, because you've said you can't fire. And, and this I've seen pretty much in every integration. Um, People actually do that, and that completely screws it up. So the area that makes me curious um, around the integration, regarding the cultural integration, um, as well as makes me concerned, is the middle management engagement. You know, And we did a conference where you had participated as well. One of the things that people talked about is how middle management needs to play the cascading role of cultural aspects uh, but more often than not uh, especially in my experience more often than not i've seen organizations leadership level cultural fit this and that all that decision making brilliant done when it comes to the mid-management nobody knows what to say or what to do and they're kind of left on their own and then the frontline workers are looking at the middle management because the middle management for them represent the executive leadership but this is where things get lost so that's why it's curiosity about the culture as well as the concern your thoughts you know um, you you touched upon a very important point and a lot of times we go wrong there one thing which which we cannot undermine is communication the amount of communication which is required is not funny and we'll hear feedback there are people who have come to me saying that oh there's just too much of communication this communication overload we can't handle that and it's absolutely fine, but there's a fine line between what to be communicated and how much to be communicated. Sometimes a headline itself is good enough. You don't need to go beyond that, but you don't need to, you know, create mails after mails of two, two, three, three pages coming from each possible reader and flood the email uh, of every employee. It's not required. At the same time, Smart communication to make sure that the highlights are heard by all the people is very important. So that's point number one. Number two is when it comes to middle management, they are normally overwhelmed. 
the during the integration phase they have literally three shifts normal day shift and night shift and also the morning evening time uh, the other so i'll give you an example imagine a normal sourcing person in uh, you know pnl who's working in a different location who's now suddenly trying to deal with the day to day work there is new acquisition so they have created a work stream where they have made some people as party or a, or a, you know team member of a committee which is working on sourcing integration on top of that you are supposed to fill out the surveys and participate in all the forums and be visible in all the places and the pressure of being able to make sure that you are successful because everybody is trying to compete and make sure that they are doing well in the new scenario also so there are multiple jobs people are juggling with and at that time if we are not providing them the support and hand holding there's a likelihood of things falling apart completely and i've seen leaders who deal with that very well but i've also seen leaders who just break down and it's a normal natural change curve right uh, people start with a lot of you know discomfort sometime anger and sometime absolute disbelief slowly they start to adapt to that and then move on to start performing but that phase that is in the beginning can be very very difficult and middle management when it comes to them i think they are the most important link of the chain we can't undermine them and my experience has been that these are the people who also contribute a lot when it comes to the entire integration and i'm not saying only culture integration also the process part also the you know other savings that comes as part of that they play a very critical role and most of the people who have have uh, you know people responsibilities so team leaders and uh, so on their responsibility becomes much higher because on one hand they are answerable to their employees they are expected to have answers for most of the questions but they actually don't have and that's where i think the hand holding that we provide to them at that stage so you gave the example of what is the faq what should you say not say how to answer certain questions how do you use the infrastructure of the integration team to be able to leverage this well makes a big difference and i'll tell you one of the best practice i've seen is the integration team creating forums where anybody could ask a question and get a response within certain hours that they highlighted and the answers were coming from the integration leader himself along with some of the other key leadership team members now what it did was not only it made people to get their answers fast it also made those leaders commit to certain things now if they make wrong commitment like you gave the example of saying that nobody will be fired and business will be as usual then god save them but uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> the idea is that if they have a good support structure and that's where i think integration teams ability and experience also comes into play because you're right business as usual as a statement can be absolutely fatal to a integration you need to be upfront you need to set the expectations and also you should never say that we love you so much that nobody will be fired and will leave you as it is you will not leave them as it is you have acquired them for some reason so 
saying those nice words in a big forum for clapping does not go a long way. It comes back to bite you very badly. So middle management role back to that question is, I think, bringing it all together, they should have the support system to be able to answer questions, period. And either they have the answers themselves or they should be in a position to get the answers for their employees. If we are able to provide that, their role becomes much more stronger. They feel much more comfortable to be able to deal with the uncertainty around them. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, the example that you took about um, having forums, I think this is very important because most of the time when we talk about communication, majority of the integrations think communication is a unidirectional approach. You know, uh, it's like a radio, you know, switch on the radio, keep communicating messages across the organization. But the importance of bubbling up the, you know, grassroots level uh, queries, questions uh, through the middle management becomes very critical because this is when the people actually start feeling part of an integration rather than, yeah, we're just sitting in the ivory tower and uh, uh, sending across the message. If When we look at uh, some of the aspects of culture and communication, one of the things that we find is people themselves don't know what's going to happen. In fact, I've seen so many acquisitions, especially in the mid-segment or early large uh, segment of the market, where they will go and buy another company. This, the way it is, we'll watch and learn. Okay. And I tell them, you know, watch and learn uh, it, it takes place, but there's never an integration taking place. People lose out on so many opportunities there. Maybe you can share some of the examples of why people do so, go and embark on a watch and learn exercise? So let us take the two extreme examples. You know, let's assume that a very big IT company, somebody like the size of IBM or Microsoft or Google happens to acquire a very small startup in a small city in India, let's say Bangalore, and 30 people team versus a you know, 20,000, 50,000 people team. What do you do with them? You have two options. One is that they become part of one of the sub PNL of a sub PNL within that big organization and they lose everything. They have created a product and then you just merge it. And then those people take certain roles at a senior engineer, manager, product lead or something. And then you're done. Right. So that's one way of doing that. The other way of doing the same thing could be that why did we acquire them? We acquired them for a reason. That reason could be that they have created a very unique product and you want to get that product. Or you acquired it for the team that they are building with the with the you know projection of what it, that product could become potentially. Your approach to both of them will be very, very different, right? Because you're going back to the deal rationale of why did you acquire them. Larger the organization, I've seen them making that mistake of putting a template and saying that, okay, guys, we have now acquired you. First, let me look at what band you should fit in. Okay. <laughs> so your equivalent of mine will be fitting into this band. So that's the first mistake you make. The second mistake you make is that, okay, what are you using? Are you an Oracle, SAP, Workday? Oh, we, are, we have none. We are Excel sheet. Okay, fine. You're coming on to this. It's easier for not having anything if they had something and you try to transition that unnecessary exercise, but you still may end up doing that. So like that, you go through a template and series of checklist items. By the time you finish that, this team has vanished. They have vanished into your system. 
I've seen some great examples from a similar kind of companies that we are talking about where they leave some of these companies absolutely independent. They don't even touch them. They allow them to come to certain scale before they can be integrated. And I think that's the best practice, in my opinion, tying it back to the deal rationale. Okay. Now take the other extreme of a very large company acquiring similar or slightly smaller size organization. It becomes even more difficult because neither you can leave them alone, nor can you take on everything because both the organizations have become certain size because of their legacy, their background, their culture, their product, and so on and so forth. I think that's where the whole exercise of finding the strengths on which they have actually carried that journey and reached where they have reached becomes very important. So that's where I think the, the exercise of finding out what has been making them successful. What are those components that we should keep? So the, the usual thing that you do is start, stop, continue, right? What should we start doing now in a merge scenario? What should we stop doing now? And what should we continue? If you are able to do that exercise in a very objective fashion, get the alignment of the leadership, you'll be able to get the maximum benefit of uh, integration. So back to your question about, you know, whether to leave them alone or integrate them completely. There's no one size fits all. I will go back always to the deal rationale, but leaving some time an organization independent and stand alone is a very good idea because if your rooftop consolidation and assets consolidation is not going to win you a huge amount of money, don't unnecessarily do that. That's my belief. And uh, again, back to the logic of what makes sense. And that's why each deal is of course different, but what makes sense comes into play. But the, the factors are some of these factors are that where will we get maximum benefit and does it make a, a difference to the deal rationale. So what are some of the challenges organizations are likely to face when they start in their cultural integration journey? And then what's the place for external resources? Yeah, that's a great question. Everyone. I was part of one of the, you know, MNA think tank uh, where some 20 of us who were so-called serial acquirers who came together on a quarterly basis and we used to discuss best practices. And one of the unique discussion always was that should we build inside capability for integration or should we get it from outside? Always that was the conversation. And uh, I've seen very large companies move like a pendulum, right? So one extreme of creating a team of 100 people and then saying, oh, within one and one and a half year, all 100 have vanished. Where have they gone? They mostly have landed up in the acquired organization or newly created merged organization into an executive role. The reason for that is, to me, the reason for that is always one thing, which is accountability. I have seen big integrations fail because the integration leader's job is to integrate and the operations leader's job is to run the operations. And that always brings a tussle. But if the integration leader's job is also to run that organization in the long run, 
most likelihood will be that they will think of long-term implications of each and every decision they are making. And therefore, I'm a very strong believer of a good mix of both the capability. There are capabilities that you cannot bring from outside. That is your organization knowledge, product knowledge, industry knowledge that comes from practicing managers. And then there are other adjacent uh, functions, which includes you know, uh, the, the people who are expert in facilitating, project managers, integration experts, finance people who will actually look at the, the you know, consolidation. They'll look at uh, what are the synergies that we are getting from here. They have been doing it year after year after year with multiple deals. So I would say the beauty lies in where do you get the resources who will provide you the directional expertise of how to get the best out of a deal, mostly in terms of synergies and project management and those kind of areas and match it with inside capability of leadership who will be accountable of running that business in the long run, running that function in the long run. And I think that mix is what I've seen mostly work together the best. And as we're getting closer to the end of the show, my next question is, I find most of the companies shortchange the concept of new capability building. Essentially, what happens is that when they create the deal rationale, they're saying, we do not have this capability. These guys have the capability. And when we merge or integrate, here is a new capability by which we'll be able to access new or you know, sell new products or access new markets or whatever it is, right? What's your take? Why do people sort of leave that new capability building uh, and get down to buy versus them? And the other angle, of course, is the, the thing that you pointed out. Payroll, I've done, have I done payroll? Have I given you the email, et cetera, et cetera. And somehow it becomes a templatized, checklist-based and capability is completely gone. And you being an HR practitioner, you know capabilities takes months, if not years to build. You know, so one of the, and, and you brought out a very important point. One of the success criteria for me, when I look at a deal happening, the success criteria is that how early they involve the right people into that integration process. Many times, some of these decisions are made first by the finance team or business development or the m team. They have made the deal, they've signed the deal, everything is done. And then they start to bring in HR and other functions saying, okay, now you can look at that. Oh, health, safety and environment, bring them in to have a look at their facilities and see everything is in order. You are not rejecting any of the deal based on their inputs any which way. But to me, I think the role of human resources function becomes even more important in these kind of deals because Human is a human being. I mean, ultimately, each leader is a human being. They have their own threats, opportunities, all those factors playing simultaneously as they are making decisions. So even if they decided together as a larger team that we will look at the deal rationale, we'll look at the, the projection of the organization, we'll look at the performa and then agree on what all we need to do. The moment it comes to making those minor decisions where rubber hits the road is that what do you do with the people? 
and then your human aspect comes into play. If you have a good HR member involved early on, they will keep the sanity in the way decisions are being made. I mean, I remember one of the exercises we did was a very lengthy exercise, but I thought that turned out to be very good. We did two exercises simultaneously in the acquired organization. And then we extended that to our own organization uh, where I was uh, part of and said that, okay, let us do a skill gap analysis. Okay. What are the skills we have? What do we need? Where does it reside? So that was one exercise. We did a very thorough exercise to look at function by function skill gap analysis. Simultaneously for some around 200 people, top 200 people, we did something called you know, culture fit kind of an exercise where we looked at the ability of this person to influence and also the person's positivity towards the entire integration. And on those two factors, when we created a four blocker, we ended up identifying some people who are very negative and also big influences. And I said that these are not the people that you want in the team because they can be a big threat to the entire integration. So we provided them some coaching. We gave them some handholding and made them some, some people worked out well, some people did not. But I think those exercises are a reflection of a right kind of involvement from HR to be able to make good informed decisions. If we don't do that, we may end up in a situation where there will be absolute anarchy. Leaders will make the call based on their own biases, their own insecurities, and that can lead to a lot of damage for the integration in the long run. Yeah, I think those are some of the key things when we look at the cultural aspects of an integration. People forget that people are central to an integration. I still don't understand why organizations tend to not include HR professionals or people who have a good understanding of people, you know, as in leadership, they could be leaders or they could be strategy people. But that people angle, that people orientation is extremely important. Looking at the future, and especially in the next few years, and and uh, both you and I, we have seen a lot of changes taking place in the MN integration space, plus the fact that the current pandemic has rendered many companies cash strapped. And on the other side, there's still companies that have plenty of cash. And we definitely expect uh, a surge of uh, mergers and acquisitions uh, taking place. What else, you know, apart from the numbers, what else do you see, you know, some trends that maybe you can share with our viewers and listeners? I think this is a short-term and a long-term you know, phenomena that, uh, that we are looking ahead uh, from here. The short-term, certainly, I mean, pandemic has made a lot of companies very, very you know, vulnerable to being acquired because they are in a bad state, uh, shape. They are not able to sustain and therefore they are available to be bought out. It may be a good win-win for both the parties, but yes, we'll certainly see a surge there. But also, if you look at the entire ecosystem of what is happening politically, what's happening with the different countries, a lot of uh, nationalism coming into play in almost all the big countries, there are also a lot of uh, potential activity happening in terms of uh, not only MA and post-merger integration, but also 
cross-border integration in spite of what we are seeing. So there may be the next phase of integration will become more complex as a result of those cross-border you know, complexities that come along with any integration. So imagine that you have signed and then you are waiting for the deal to be closed. The duration between the two will certainly become much longer because you are going country by country approvals. You know, some of those things will become complex. But that's where I think back to our earlier discussion, that where do you balance your talent? I think you need to balance the talent between experts who know how to do this and then the integration folks who know how the organization internal system works. And to your point, functions like HR, functions like communication, functions like IT infrastructure, you know, facilities and rooftop consolidation, all those will become you know, important in the mix of where, what do you uh, source from outside who have done it multiple times and those who are, uh, you know, within the organization talent. So I, I can see a lot of activity, as you rightly said, Anirvan, and I think uh, these will be exciting times. Right? I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, as you know, I run a change management consulting organization and uh, we have been working in the last four or five years, so many different integrations that we have done. Uh, I see a lot of activity happening and I'm looking forward to participating in more and more and uh, sharing our expertise and our team members, making them available, creating more uh, employment and opportunities for uh, the associates that we have. Yeah, that's excellent. And uh, I guess uh, before we kind of wrap it up, any final words of wisdom that you can share uh, with our viewers and listeners? No, I'm, I'm very biased about it. I would say that uh, two things only. One is that we should always make sure that we are not going on one direction. We should always include the people and the process and the culture together for all these integration work, change management work. So that's one. And secondly, my favorite line is no one size fits all. No, not all integrations are alike. They're all unique. So use your judgment. Don't make the mistakes and learn from it. Learn from other people's mistakes. You know, there are so many people who have gone through integrations. There are so many people who have seen that. Learn from their mistakes to make sure that you don't repeat that and you don't suffer from that. So that would be my final few words or few cents of uh, contribution. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I'll just extend upon uh, what you said. Uh, and this is what I tell other people as well. You know, we are not trying to sell our expertise, our wares when we have this conversation. We're trying to help you protect yourself because... The reality is more than 80% of the integrations fail, you know, and if you still don't have the intellect, the uh, understanding of why you're failing, you know, then there's something definitely wrong. And that's why um, I encourage more and more people to look outside, you know, and back in the GE days, the external orientation of people, you know, especially the growing leaders was so important that people had to look outside for best practices, for how people are doing it. So I think that's a brilliant way of sharing your final words you know i and this is such a topic that we could probably spend hours and i probably think i'll come back to you and do another session but it's such a pleasure to have a conversation like this with you so thank you karunesh it was absolutely brilliant and look forward to having a session with you again in the future well, thank you everyone it was a pleasure to be on this show and uh, i'm looking forward to many more sessions thank you very much for inviting me thank you